0: Formed in 1995 on the Lower East Side of New York City, Brendan Brown, his brother, and a few friends created a unique sound all their own. Their debut single, Teenage Dirtbag, became a massive hit, spoke to a generation of geeky metalheads, and gave the band a full-time career overseas. This week I'm joined by Roger Feely Lucier, a former member of the band's Appreciation Post in Yale, Massachusetts, to discuss if Wheatus rocks in Keds and Tube socks.
1: Wonder, or is it hey Roger. Hey, how's it going, man? What's up? Good. You're here to talk about Weedus. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about a band called Weedus. Uh, how familiar are you with Weedus? Uh, I'm
0: actually super duper familiar with Weedus. Actually, my band Punchline toured with Weedus in the UK in like the year 2008 eight ish or so very well versed in weedus. Uh, we're here specifically first off to talk about teenage dirtbag, which is an absolute phenomenon of a song. The longevity of that song and its popularity is super impressive because when you start a Facebook group about one hit wonders for this podcast, (laughs) you will not believe the amount of people that submit that song over and over again. And it's a pretty undeniable one hit wonder. Would you agree?
1: Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's a big one. And it's, it's a funny one because it falls very, very, very close to uh, kind of a subsection of one hit wonders, which is novelty songs. I'm going to, I'm going to just like, I want to set a baseline here. So the reason I chose Weedas and, and um, when uh, Matt, your producer reached out to me and he was like, what do you think? And I like, I literally, I wasn't sure how many you'd taped. And I was like, is we taken, I'm going to, I want to do Teenage dirt bag, And he was like, perfect, perfect, perfect. Weedus was uh, the first concert I ever drove to when I was 16 nice. and a half. Um, they did a free concert in Providence at uh, Lupo's, at Old Lupo's. Did you ever play at Old Lupo's? Ah, oh, like, we
0: definitely played at a Lupo's, but I don't know if it was old or new Lupo's.
1: So in Providence there was Lupo's, which was like the, the newer Lupo's, which was at a theater called The Strand. Big theater with seating. You uh-huh. probably played there.
0: I think I, I think we played there on a Juliana Theory tour back in the yep.
1: day. Old Lupo's was more like a uh, warehouse space, and so it was the first, literally the first like rock concert I'd ever been to because I could finally drive myself to them. Like so, I was up front the whole time. They played Teenage Dirtbag twice. They played nice. it <laughs> during the set, and then they played it in the encore. And this was their original lineup, which was just which was four dudes. You know, uh, Brendan the singer. A bassist, who I think was his brother, a drummer, and then another percussionist who played hand percussion and shakers and stuff. Right. So then, in two thousand five, I guess it was my band, the Appreciation Post, played with them, and um, at Middle East downstairs in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the their lineup was already kind of different at this point. They already had like backup singers And and. I think one of the people had been switched out from that original, you know, six years earlier band. So I think they were like third album at that point. And um, what I the thing I remember the most about them was they brought their own wireless sound system.
0: Yes, they did.
1: That they plugged in and they set up, and it was it was funny because my band was made up of people who were like really good friends with the like sound people at the Middle East, and so we were all there just hanging out for load in. Obviously, because we had already loaded in and stuff. And they, they wheel in this thing. And the sound guy's like, yo, what's this? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We've got it. And he's like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, just like as soon as the band before us is done, just like go have a drink and we'll just set it up. And they're like, all right, man, whatever. <laughs> and so it was this thing, this big box with wireless uh, everything. And like I said, every single person had, had wireless everything. And it sounded great oddly right. enough, and then they st- also did Teenage Dirtbag during the set, and then once again, and the encore. And then I saw them again, maybe two years ago here in the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. They, uh, my friend's band, Math The Band, was opening for them. They also toured in Europe with them uh, around the same time you did. They have, like, now they have like a nine-piece band with mm-hmm. like, five, like three guitarists, and like, everything's kind of like a soul song. So I, I, have, no, I have no idea what's happened. If I'm going yeah. to be completely honest at, at <laughs> some point, you know, two 99 to 2005, I understood all that 2005 to 2020. I don't know. It's, it's, I, it's, he seems like Brendan seems like he's very happy doing what he's doing. He's very active on Twitter. He's a, he's a, a funny guy on Twitter. So he's, he seems to have figured something out, but like, I, I watched them perform and I was like, I have no concept of what this is.
0: I mean, yeah, the setting up their, their own sound system, you I think that's cool. You know what you're getting into each night. Like nothing, nothing's gonna change. I mean, it seems like a lot of work, but if you're willing to put the work in and it sounds good, like that's really cool. They're definitely unique. Like (laughs) I don't think anybody else sounds like Weedus, and I'm gonna say this right off the bat: they're awesome people. Like so, such like nice, sweet people. So like that is always a good thing to find out when. You know, when someone has a, a massive hit and it achieves that kind of success, like it's nice to know that the people are also really cool. As far as Teenage Dirtbag, that song, it is it is crazy to me to this day. I don't care if I'm at a party where you're it's mostly hip hop and dance music playing, or if I'm at a, a wedding, or if I'm at even a even a show and it's between bands, if that song comes on people are singing along people are happy and it's just just that the, the effect that that song has on people i i haven't seen many songs have that effect on the people around me the way that one does you and, ever see someone you know, do it at karaoke oh my god yes of course uh, that's a
1: just, slam dunk
0: yeah i mean you know it, it's just it's just the go-to and that's so cool that you know, I feel like at the time the song came out around 2000, I think that it was a mainstream massive hit. I think at the time I was a little bit too cool for it. I was a little bit too into punk music to be like, oh, this is cool. And then it just like as the years passed by and you just hear the song, you're like, oh, this song's really cool. Uh, and, you know, it's it's definitely like the vocals are crazy high. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely very noteworthy thing about it. It's fun to sing along to. It's got cool lyrics. It's just, uh, I got no qualms with Teenage Dirtbag. A lot of songs we talk about on here, uh, tend to (laughs) maybe, maybe get uh, on onto what's bad about the songs, but I, I, I don't have any problem with Teenage Dirtbag.
1: It's, It's a really good example of, um, so I have the, when Rivers Cuomo released his, uh, uh, solo demos anthologies maybe like between i think it was like between 2006 2011 or so one of them came if you got like the deluxe edition i'm a huge weezer nerd so if you got the deluxe edition it came with like a bound book of his notes from the pinkerton sessions and like a lot of like arrangement notes and like just sort of like his thoughts and his diaries from when he got leg surgery and all this stuff and one of the things he's talking about is how "Say It Ain't So" just always felt like such a perfect version of a perfect like sing-along song, and what it was was he was really trying to make uh, Pixie's song, which is the you know soft verse, loud chorus thing, right. and he was like, "What's the way to do this?" And he wrote "Say It Ain't So," where the highest note of the chorus that "Say It Ain't So" was as high as he could possibly sing. And he knew that it was as high as most people his age who are going to be singing along to it would be able to sing. And it worked, and that's why it works. And that's the same thing that happens in Teenage Dirtbag. It's just sort of like, it's already pretty high, but then when that loud chorus comes in and, and the distortion gets on the guitar and it's got that little like walk down guitar part, it's just so big and like raucous in comparison right. to that teeny tiny, very like quiet co- verse. And then what's funny is once you get really familiar with the lyrics, like I did when I was 16 and I bought the album and like wore it out driving around in my, in my Mustang. Cause I was that kid. Like you, you realize that what it is, it's the juxtaposition where like the, the teeny tiny parts, he's actually being a really vicious asshole. And then right. <laughs> in the big parts, he's calling himself out for it. So like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a funny, like I said, almost novelty song. Almost, it's almost a comedy song, but it isn't.
0: Yeah. I, I, when you first said that, I, I, I've been thinking about that since you said that because novelty song, if it wasn't such a well written, like, yeah, you're talking about that structure, which, oh my God, how many songs where you have the, you have the soft verse and then the huge chorus. That's just, it's just, accentuated by the fact that the the verse is so small you know <laughs> it's it's so quiet when i think novelty song i think aqua barbie girl i think <laughs> I, I think i'm too sexy i think baby got back or all, all those kind of songs whereas teenage dirtbag actually like a, a a rockin rock song so so it the any novelty in it is just the fact of all of the feelings and memories attached to that time when that song was popular come rushing back that's that's how i would feel as far as like the
1: novelty part of that song so now here's a question not to get too far off tangent but it's fine it's it's all the same it's It's, yeah this is all the same soup. so you said aqua barbie girls so that band as far as i know existed before and existed after that song they're Swedish or Norwegian or whatever right yeah they're Swedish do you think there are Swedish people who loved Aqua just sort of as like a dance pop disco band who like sort of treat Barbie girl as just sort of like an anomaly in their mind and then they're like well at least I've still got these other like seven albums of this
0: Yeah. uh, Apparently we actually, it was actually our first episode. We did, we did Aqua Barbie girl. And so I actually am kind kind of knowledgeable on Aqua. They, they did have other hits in Sweden. Yeah. We got into like, what, why on earth, like what drugs do you have to be on to really (laughs) like this music? Because it's all like Barbie girl, you know, it's all that beat. It's all that like, you know, female vocal and then weird, <laughs> weird sugar cubes ish. Other guy, <laughs> I did. I don't get the juxtaposition <laughs> so yeah. much.
1: And then even beyond that, I mean, like, look at Eiffel 65, right? Like same, right. literally the same. That was all the same year. I, I I remember the like 90, 1999, 2000 really well. I think that was like, you know, I, that was when I was 16, 17. That's kind of when I like blinked into sentience uh-huh. from like adolescence or something, because that's the moment from which all those albums that came out in that era are like so formative to my like personal experience, you know, um, semi-sonic fastball, uh, this, even like literally those, those albums that would have like Barbie girl or, uh, like LFO uh, girl on TV or like all those, like kind of like weird pop songs that happened at that time. And like, it's so strange. And I, I don't think that's going to really happen again. I mean, was Old Town Road was sort of a novelty song, but then like you look at Lil Nas X and and he's this whole completely separate sort of way to be a one-hit wonder and then like he's also kind of now set up in a way where he's going to have a completely different trajectory than if that had happened in 1999.
0: Right. Yeah, because you can you know, and I I Weedus is a good example of this and I, I brought it up about some other bands that i know like somebody had posted in the facebook group for for the podcast had posted a rusted root send me on my way Mm -hmm. and rusted Rusted roots actually from pittsburgh and one of the members of rusted root is in the group (laughs) and i was like oh man nobody said anything bad about it. it's a great song and they're a great band that's had this massive success for the longest time but she commented on it like yeah we had a one hit wonder you know, after that, we had 20 years of selling out arenas and stuff. So like uh-huh. there is a there is a way to, you know, I would love to have one hit,
1: <laughs> you know, like I did it for nine years. I played I played I mean, you've you've played far more shows than I have at this point, obviously. Uh, but like I play like 900 shows in nine years and like stri- damn near killed myself and had like a, a near psychotic break in Germany once. And like we didn't I didn't even sniff a hit.
0: Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's, it's not like we're talking shit on people for having one hit. And, you know, if you can parlay that hit into a long career, because it's funny, we talk a lot, a lot about the bands that to us are in no way, shape or form one hit wonders. The mighty, mighty, mighty Boston's are in no Mm -hmm. way, shape or form a one hit wonder, but kind of are you know but you come from our world and hell no they're not a one-hit wonder and hell no jimmy jimmy world isn't a one-hit wonder and like all, all these like bands that did have this one massive song but have have had long lasting success both before and after that and i think if if i ever get lucky to have that one hit that that's i would feel good about the fact that uh that that i would know how to uh use that to just continue making music forever you know
1: yeah i mean jimmy Eat world's one of my all-time favorite bands like i just saw right. them i have seen them twice in the past year i've seen them uh, i saw them open for third eye blind if we're if we're kind of speaking of this realm i mean third eye blind are probably what a three-hit wonder jimmy Eat world's probably yeah. like a one and a half hit wonder like you right. know yeah i'm i would never speak ill of jimmy Eat world I, I love all their albums except one and like I, I would see them. I'd, I'd pay any amount of money to see them for forever. But like, I also understand from, and just from that show, from being at this big arena that style show where they were opening for Third Eye Blind and, and I don't know, have you seen Third Eye Blind recently? Do you know anything about this?
0: Uh, I know that that the drummer of Jimmy World was not a fan. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that controversy after the tour was over.
1: No, but I'm, I'm good. Godspeed. You have more power to him because here. So Third Eye Blind is now uh, there's only two original members from it. It's it's Steven and the drummer and the rest of the guys all quit or were, were fired or whatever. They all started another band called XEB who, who they wow. tore playing the Third Eye Blind songs that they wrote. And obviously wow. Stephen Jenkins can still play all those songs, but it's so strange. He's like, you know, he's like 52, right? Like no, no shade, no shade. That, that's not a, that's no dig to him, but he is like 52. He's wearing like a cut-off hoodie, like the sleeves cut off. And he's like skulking around stage and there's like a big like light show and he's still doing all the same sort of like, in between dialogue stuff that he did when they were like pretty popular, like 2002, 2003, but like, it feels so just like an actor on stage and it feels so not genuine. And they said like, at one point he announced that like some filmmaker is making a a documentary about the song motorcycle drive-by and he was like so that's why there's so many cameras on stage and then the whole time he's just like performing to the cameras and it's like oh my god like i i basically went there to see jimmy Eat world so like i was fine with it but like he's become this like very negative experience to watch <laughs>
0: right right that's uh, that uh zach the drummer of jimmy Eat world you can go back and look at his tweets about it i was like damn he just came out and was like
1: Did he basically say that?
0: Oh, he straight up was ripped. I mean, it was like a big story that week. Like he was ripping like basically called him an asshole, like a (laughs) fake asshole, like straight up just came out and said it. And I was like, damn, that's, that's pretty bold. You know, I've had that experience once or twice too, but I kind of like kept it within my circle. I didn't just come out and tweet it.
1: And here's the thing. If I could feel that from 44 rows away. Like imagine that from like two feet away.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that they have a couple good songs. I was never a big fan. I always like found third eye blind kind of like cheesy and like (laughs) wasn't feeling it, but I could admit that like those songs were catchy and I definitely knew a lot of people liked them.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but, just to sort of actually pivot this back to Weedis, sorry yeah. about that digression. <laughs> I actually, I mean, it's, on, it's on topic, right? We're talking about what yes. Wonders. And to pivot that back to Weedis, once again, I mean, Brendan must be almost 50 now. I just saw him a couple of years ago. Like I said, I didn't personally, like, I wasn't digging it, but, like, he put together a thing, had a solid vision, and the people that were there to see it all really liked it. So, like,
0: oh, hell yeah. cool. Yeah
1: great. And to know from you that he's actually a nice guy. And my friend oh. uh, from math, the band told me he's a nice guy. And like my, my buddies who've interacted with him on Twitter, like it seems like he's in a really good place. And I feel like that's the best possible outcome from being a one hit wonder.
0: Right. And on top of that, Weedis, nobody really sounds like weedists. They have <laughs> such a unique sound. I mean, I want to talk about teenage Dirtbag a little bit more before yeah. we get deeper into their catalog. Uh, but the crazy thing when I when I look at these facts here about teenage dirtbag is it only hit number one hundred and twenty-four on the U.S. Billboard charts. Uh, you know, it was used to to as a tie-in with like a Jason Biggs movie. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, but, that's the music video. That's that's a funny part too,
0: right? And but but it was a massive hit in the U.K. Uh, it hit number two in the U.K., which I didn't even. I didn't even realize that fact until right now, and so it's pretty cool. We just uh, let us tour with them in the UK. That's pretty badass. I mean, I thought I thought it was badass anyway.
1: That's where they definitely make their make their most money, which good for them. Like once again, if he if he's figured out a way to, to keep doing this and and make himself happy and and keep keep writing songs and buying cool guitars that he gets to play out, I'm happy for him.
0: Oh yeah man it's it's what it's all about being able to parlay that success you know and uh but I, what the point being that like I, that that still blows my mind it only hit number 124 like it seemed like such a big song but i think that like over the years there's been this like cult growing of that song i'm thinking just just uh the drummer and punchline cory got married on new year's eve when that song came on at the reception, it was like everybody's like, "Oh, yeah, like it was, and it's not you know, what coming back to like the novelty aspect, it's not like anybody's listening and singing al- singing along is like, oh, this silly song from two thousand It's like people love it, and yeah, and it's really cool
1: it's, <laughs> it's just because it's so it's so simple and like you remember it instantly, and I think, um so I. Once, you know, not to skip too far ahead, but uh, listening to the album again, I remembered how, I don't know how to say it, how digi everything is, how sort of like direct into the board and how like deliberately like everything's so tight and like ticky tacky. And on the other songs, it, it really, they really suffer for it. But on Teenage Dirtbag, it just like, it fits in this really perfect pocket where um, the only there's one just wretched thing about the recording. And I I hope, I wonder if you'll agree with me on this, but it's the, uh, the DJ scratches. Oh,
0: I think that maybe Um, that that's a little bit of a, a a product of the time. Like uh, I would, I would love to hear like what they would say about that now, but that was such a popular thing to do out of nowhere at that like late nineties, 2000, whatever. That was like a staple. I didn't, it's funny you say that. I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, if it, I could do without the, <laughs> the record scratches, yeah. everything
1: know? else about it. Cause you've got, and, and it's so funny. Um, when you toured with them, was he our, at that point, was he playing like the semi hollow body guitar? The, like the Gibson, do you remember uh, uh, like, yeah, the, red, he, the big red so. Gibson? Yeah, yeah. Because when I saw them in 99, he was still playing just with an acoustic guitar with the the pickup in the the sound hole, like Uh the beat up old Yamaha, whatever guitar covered in stickers and like through like a board of like the crummiest pedals you've ever heard and right. i thought i remember being i remember being 16 and just looking at me like this was the coolest thing i've ever seen yeah. <laughs> and i want to say in 2005 he might have still been playing with an acoustic but then like i said when i saw them a couple of years ago he was he was up to the, uh, uh, the now you say, I, I,
0: I can't remember
1: actually uh that that yeah. whole time of my life is kind of a
0: blur, but uh, oh, totally, you
1: know. totally get that's, it, right. So, but um, when you listen to the record, it's it's that's what they're doing. It's it's an acoustic guitar, it's direct into the board, and then when it gets to a distortion, it's just some you know someone in the studio hit a pedal with their hand, and it's it's so deliberate and it's so you can hear the seams of the digital recording in the entire thing, and it feels so incredibly nineteen ninety nine two thousand, and like it just. It makes it it makes it so instantly recognizable. But
0: before before we get any deeper, I also want to talk about this because I think this is really interesting. You know, when you listen to the lyrics of the song and you kind of like it tells a story. You know, he's a teenage dirtbag and then he meets this uh, this other teenage dirtbag. It's like a really cute, nice story. But I want to read this quote from Brendan about the origins of the chorus of the song. He said. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you might already know this, but he said it came from the summer of 1984 when I was 10 years old. That summer in the woods behind my house, there was a satanic drug-induced ritual teen homicide that went down. And the kid who did it was called Ricky Casso, and he was arrested wearing an ACDC t-shirt. That made all the papers and the television, obviously. And here I was, ten years old, walking around with a case full of ACDC and Iron Maiden and Metallica songs, and all the parents and teachers and cops thought I was some kind of saint worshipper. <laughs> so that's the backdrop for the song. Which I think is really cool, funny, awesome backstory.
1: Yeah, uh, that's crazy. And it's wow. it's really funny because, you know, even uh, like this song, he's uh, you know, it it like it veers into the almost in cell-y, like gross stuff and we'll talk about this when we talk about the rest of the album where it goes a little further into it but but what's funny about this one is you know the the comedic reveal in the third act is the girl is actually into him and likes the same stuff and he's just been making up this false reality about the boyfriend even existing and being you know wanting to like whatever call the cops on him because he brings a gun to school or whatever it is Do you know what i mean like right that that one ends resolves with oh yeah it actually turns out bad on me it turns out she actually liked me um but then in the rest of the album there's just some really gross stuff that like does not age as well Right. So hey, well, okay, That's probably we talk... why it ended up being a one hit wonder from at least that album.
0: <laughs> can we talk about the fact that when they play this song on the radio, they censor out the word gun? Oh Did yeah. You know that? And
1: sometimes dick as well. Um, the, the version of the album that is on Spotify has guns, gun censored out, but the entire album is censored. I couldn't find a non-censored version. Maybe I didn't look hard enough, but maybe wow. I have some weird setting on my Spotify. Maybe they think I'm, 14 or something. Cause I do actually listen to a lot of pop music. So yeah, me too. <laughs> it's, it's probably <laughs> I, like, it's like, Oh, we've noticed you've been listening to a lot of Ariana Grande lately. So right. <laughs> we're going to make sure that this Weedus album doesn't have any swears in it.
0: Something we like to bring up on here as well is like, what else was going on in the world at that time when the song was popular? Because when you look at teenage dirtbag, so If you're looking at it without that little bit of perspective of what else is going on, it might make it even cooler that this song became popular when you realize that that year, the album, in the year 2000, some of the things that were really popular, these are like, Uh looking at the top 10 albums, it's like, number one was Sync, No Strings Attached. Uh, Oops, I Did It Again, Britney Spears was popular. Human Clay from Creed. Supernatural from Santana, which... I mean, dude, how is <laughs> Santana, real, uh, how much, I don't know. I, uh, it, far be it from me to talk shit on Santana, but who out there is listening to Santana? I guess moms in the year 2000. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like,
1: I it mean, just, it, won, it won what, seven Grammys?
0: Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm not trying to drag Santana here, but the, the point being like, I don't really want to listen to Santana. Mm-hmm. It might just be me. But it, Top Singles at that time, Oops I Did It Again, U2's Beautiful Day, Bon Jovi, It's My Life. I don't know. I'll take Teenage Dirtbag over any of that.
1: Like I said, I, it really does come down to just the rest of the album. Once again, I I, I have a fear and I, I I do fear that Brendan will listen to this um, simply because I know he is, like I said, he's active on Twitter. And I don't really don't want him to think I'm dragging him. I just personally, I didn't feel that the rest of the album aged very well. I'm glad he has... Twenty years of music. After it, one of the songs "Hump 'Em and Dump 'Em" has like a Clinton drag, and he like talks about Monica Lewinsky, and you're like, "Eek!" It, it gave me pause. It gave me like, it's one of those things that like you you reevaluate the way that you listened to things, or like you things that like pop culture that you took in when you were a teenager. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's doing it. No, he's singing songs where there's characters being portrayed that he's voicing. I'm not saying that's what he is or how he feels or what he believes, but like, it's the, it's, it's the kind of humor that was fine then and is probably not now.
0: (laughs) Right. Hey man, it's, it's crazy. It, 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 was only in the past. I, I feel bad even saying this, but I feel like it's only in the past year or so where even I was, could look back and be like, Oh, wait a second. The whole like talking shit on Monica Lewinsky thing was fucked Mm-mm. up. Yeah. Like, why did she get the brunt of all the jokes and all the like? I listened to she was on Dax Shepard's podcast recently, and I listened. We I mean, I listened to her story, and like, you're like, whoa, wait a second. She was honestly the most bullied person maybe of all time. Why? Mm-hmm. She didn't. She didn't even. She was forced into into even talking about that. She was tricked and forced. Uh, there was a really good podcast about that whole, the whole deal with, with that. It was on slate. It sucks. Like she was the most bully and still to this day, people, unless you think about it critically, like, yeah, talk shit on bill Clinton about it. Like he took advantage of a young intern at the time, but what, but she is not the person who should have been completely like her life. If she wasn't a strong person, she could Mm -hmm. have very easily taken a really bad turn. I mean, she does talk about some, a lot of the bad things that happened in her life, but she came out in the end, she came out, you know, stronger and a good person or whatever, or whatever, but she could have very easily like killed herself through all that. Like she was the, the most bullied person ever. So yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about. And another interesting thing to think about is all the music that we listen to that, yeah, it did, does not age well, especially and, in the 90s, 2000s, like stuff that y- you didn't even think twice about. Yep. But then you look back on it and you're like, oh, damn.
1: <laughs> and a lot of it just comes back to and it's that humor thing. And, it's you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be, quote unquote, woke. I'm not trying to be like it's just sort of like at, at a bare minimum. Now, you kind of have to look at these things and say, like, hmm, at very least and like it's i don't think it's i don't like i said once again he was he was clearly writing these songs in the voice of characters and like that's a very interesting thing to do you know um uh max from say anything writes songs in the voice of characters like and that can lead to problematic readings of things 10 20 30 years down the line and you know i i this probably, this podcast probably isn't enough space for us to even discuss kind of the breadth of that and sort of like as a songwriter or someone making media or art anyway. So,
0: and and I, I think that all you can do is evolve with the times and uh, be aware that maybe something that you sang or that you wrote a while ago, as long as you're aware, because I know, I know people that like can't get past yeah like i said this thing in the 90s and it was okay then why isn't it okay now well it's not okay now because like we've evolved as a human species and we realize that like yeah saying retard isn't cool anymore mm. you know no, like, exactly or like,
1: even um you look at uh Haley from paramore a couple of years ago wrote an apology about the lyrics to misery business because they're like they play into the like girl on girl, anyone who's not me is a slut, like right. negative sexuality sort of thing that like, first of all, when she wrote the song, when she was 18, was the way that main, and, and like, it's not excusable. It's, it's bad that it happened and it's bad that it ever happened and, it's, and that it was happening. But like, that was kind of the mainstream way that even a young woman would express her own frustration with that and right. for her to have acknowledged that like hey i'm sorry if i if i created art that sort of gave you a negative perception of what what you are who you could be and i thought that was pretty interesting to see
0: yeah to be able to look back in in that sort of mature way at, at things you have written because hey I, i'm guilty of it too there are things that make me cringe like early in punchlines catalog and stuff where i'm like oh man like just like you know we we came from a world like there's no getting around it. It's pretty when you look at the lyrics a lot there was like a lot of misogyny going on and like and not proud of it and and wouldn't do that again. And I don't think the punchline was especially bad culprit of it like
1: but a lot of bands in the scene at the time were and it was about yes. Yes. It was about being part of the existing zeitgeist or whatever. I, that's probably too too lofty of a way to describe it, but like, it's just like, it was being, sometimes it was being played for like tongue in cheek humor and like in ways that we now realize are like, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. People can, and also people can listen, listen to things just like people can watch things in the wrong way. If you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like
1: you could you could watch a movie like, how are you reading Joker? Are you saying, right. (laughs) I want to be the guy who, whatever, does this things that happen in that movie? Like, do are you right. are you reading? Are, am I? Um, are you rooting for Cobra wa- Kai? Like,
0: right? Yeah. Are you watching Natural Born Killers and being like, oh, this is a fucked up reflection of America? Or are you watching it like, oh man, these characters are badass? Like, that's <laughs> you know that that's the 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 sort of thing. And listening to music, it could be that same way because you could write, you could be a writer and write a book or a song or whatever from a perspective. That it just depends on how it's taken in. And, yeah, you know, some someone could watch Borat and not <laughs> realize the satire of it, and be like, "Oh, he's making fun of uh, foreign people," and like think that that's and, and just laugh at it in the wrong way, if that makes sense. And um
1: <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's people taking the the wrong, or I mean, it's 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 watching it's watching Fight Club and not seeing it as a satire of what's happening on screen, despite, despite the fact that like, whatever you want to say about the the politics being espoused in it, but like the way that it, it's, it's, it's about like bringing around supposedly positive change through like the most toxic means possible. And, you know, if you come out of that, if you come out of that saying, ah shit i gotta go start my own fight club and start beating dudes up you're saying oh wait i'm i'm asking the wrong questions
0: (laughs) right right absolutely so i think that bringing this back to weedus uh yeah especially knowing them as people i don't think that and knowing that like if you if you you follow brendan on twitter or anything like that he is as woke and Mm as uh progressive of a person as you and I, or maybe even more so. So like, I don't think that I, I think that, that anything that he wrote was from a perspective telling a story and mm-hmm. anything that may have not have aged well he would realize, Hey, this didn't, <laughs> this didn't age so well. And, and, and I realized that, you know, just as I can do that and you can do
1: that. Exactly. Know? And that's, and that's why I'm trying like a, you know, in discussing, I'm trying to approach it from that place. I'm trying, I, you know, cause he's, he's not here to be in the discussion. And and I do earnestly believe that that's, I, I'm reading this correctly where it's just, it's just kind of cringe. It's not like eek or yikes.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Eminem released a new song. Yesterday okay, or the yes. day before, from from when we're recording this in a new music video, and I'm not not a, I'm actually I'm not an Eminem fan. Like I respect him as a rapper and everything, but you want to talk about cringe worthy, like early stuff, mm-hmm. like Jesus. It's like, hard to listen dude,
2: to.
0: Oh man, like that Kim song. If you're familiar with that, like mm-hmm. it, just like you know, and 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 I would you know glorifying murder, rape, violence, all this stuff, like
1: really bad. It's really, really bad. Uh, to kind of backtrack this into the one-hit wonder conversation. Eminem has had what nine hits, ten hits. So, so like he's the kind of guy who he his first song sort of was a novelty song, but "My Name Is" song, and every album he released would have another like novelty song on it, and then the right. rest of his albums would be. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. It would always be like, "Here is a song that sounds like clown music." Right. With, and then, like, every other song on the album was, like, hardcore Dr. Dre rap. And right. it, was a, it, it was a real Trojan horse, I guess, that, that they were doing. And, like, whatever it was was, like, perfectly timed and perfectly existed that he wasn't a one-hit wonder off that. Because, like, I don't necessarily know if at any point earlier or later in music he would have been.
0: Right. Right. But it's good. It's
1: good that he has this platform now and that he's using it and he understands like, yo, I got to like if I'm going to if people are going to listen to my stupid voice, people, it should be for good.
0: Right. And I I mean, I I, that's that's what I do respect. And like, you know, like you said, it's if you're going to get mad at. Eminem, that like uh, someone who would—I'm not saying I'm defending him, but if you were going to be someone that could defend him, I think an argument that could be made would be like, hey, if you're going to get mad at Eminem for these, like you put it, like these three-act plays that he he made this th- back then that are very cringeworthy, couldn't you also <sighs> say the same thing about Quentin Tarantino or uh-huh. like whatever writing these like violent, t- you know, sometimes. Racist, sometimes whatever things, but yep. they, you know, it, it, it's what, but I think the difference is maybe Eminem, when you write a song, they're they're like, he's writing in first person and about real people in his life. So then it seems like, oh, wait a second, this isn't fake. He's writing about himself. And I think that could get misconstrued. And yeah. that's a whole, that's a whole long conversation, but you know, and then once talking- again, to
1: bring it back around to teenage dirtbag, which is, you know, the reason we're, the reason we're here here. It, the the really the wonderful thing about it from a, from a writing standpoint is that it does have that that third act punchline, uh, right. sorry no no pun intended that third act <laughs> that third act gag where it turns out he's constructed this fo- whole false reality around uh, his uh, pursuit and perceived lack of being what the girl wanted and she right. is the one who actually comes to him and says let's go be dirtbags together. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's a wonderful little thing. Cause like do, does, does that character deserve the payoff? Who knows, but he gets it. <laughs> well,
0: maybe we really need teenage dirtbag right now because you, I never really thought about this before, but you said it a few times, like the incels, like maybe they need to hear this song and be like, Oh, there there is hope and i don't need to uh you know take the gun to school and things like that. there's no reason for me to
1: sit and let this stew maybe if i just sort of uh present myself in a positive way positive things can happen for me in my life
0: right for sure so (laughs) you know we we talked about a little bit like but digging deeper into Wheatus's catalog which is part of what we do on the podcast like they have this one song that is just like my favorite WIDA song. It's called Lemonade. I don't know if you're familiar with this song.
1: I think I remember a music video for it. That was probably around 2007 or 2008, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I believe it was when we uh, we toured with them. I believe it was the record that they were touring off of. Records get, especially nowadays, they get all mixed up for me because you just stream songs instead of albums a lot of times. But Mm -hmm. Lemonade. Lemonade's the jam. Just tell me his
2: name. Just tell me you didn't get laid in our bedroom. And was it the same? Just tell me
1: if his dick
2: is bigger than mine. Do you remember the way it was when I was home before I left you on
1: Once again,
0: it's funny it's that in this song, which is such a, it's such a, like a, a cool song, the chorus of it being like in a very high vocal. It's a, I want to be 80 on the porch drinking lemonade with you. And that is all I can think about when you tell me that you're cheating. But once again, that the verses are, you know, uh, he mentions his dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, talks about blowjobs. <laughs> all this, It's it's really impressive to me when you can, have that sort of stuff in the song yet the song is still really good
1: <laughs> if you if you can if you can construct a melody the words can kind of be anything that sounds like a negative it sounds like I'm being cynical i'm looking at the lyrics they're very funny they're very, but yeah. they're also very 2007 2008 i love it right
0: <sighs> yeah yeah it's i mean it's a really awesome song and once again like Weedis in general i don't know I don't know what their writing dynamic is. I kind of think is Brendan. Uh, but I, I have to believe that, that it's a group effort to to some extent.
1: Here's here's kind of a funny thing. I, I'm I, sorry to interrupt. I, I'm just on on Google. And it says that that album, so it was released, uh, uh, the songwriter copyright on that song, uh, Sony ATV Music Publishing, Ultra Tunes, which I have to imagine is um, Brendan's uh, LLC, and then capital christian music group so this is a christian song
0: oh nice <laughs> yeah i remember i remember they had like a a label dispute thing going on i can't i can't remember what the details was, yeah sony were was the, it, the
1: suck phony thing suck to, phony, least, that's right yeah, yeah. no I'm, I'm sorry that's i just think that's uh you know that's one of those weird like uh quirks of the music industry that that song was published under a, a christian music label <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah man i I do in in general. I think it's inspiring and uh, motivating to me when bands and artists do their own thing, don't sound like anyone else, and mm-hmm. achieve success. Like yeah. I don't think maybe Teenage Dirtbag is a little formulaic or whatever, but in general, I think that like Weezer isn't trying to sound like anyone, and I think that that's like one of those reasons. Like. All of my favorite artists like Ween, they might be Giants, Ben Folds, Bjork, all these people like that did their own thing and don't sound like anyone else and achieved massive, long lasting success. That's always a really cool thing. And I I think Weedus is one of those artists and I got mad, mad respect. Yeah. And a
1: big part of it is it's Brendan's voice is so specific. It's so it's it's really amazing i mean especially nowadays it's amazing to listen to that song and like the vocals are doubled tripled sometimes maybe even quadrupled and this is you know it was recorded in 99 or early 2000 and this is like there wasn't auto-tune there wasn't a ways of fixing that that was you know he went into the studio and he sang those parts three four five six seven eight nine times and then they sat down with the producer and they they picked the best ones and made sure everything lined up right. And, you know, that's, that's, a, I mean, you know, obviously from, from being in the studio, that's a hard thing to do. And, mm. you know, his, his voice live is phenomenal in the same way. So he, he knows right. exactly, he knows exactly what the, what, what Brendan O'Brien brings to WIDIS and why, we just needs Brendan O'Brien and why, why he writes his songs that way. And that's a, that's a pretty hard thing to do
0: for, for sure. And, and sorry, did
1: I say, is, is it awesome. Brendan O'Brien? Have I been calling him? Is that the wrong? Uh, I feel Brendan Brown. I'm sorry, Brandon, man. Yeah. If you've been listening, <laughs> uh, that sucks. I had the, I had the pay, I had the Wikipedia page open. And I said, O'Brien instead of Brown. Brown. Uh, well, it's all good. Hopefully, like I said, I, I feel pretty confident he's going to listen to this and I hope I didn't say anything that that bummed him out too much.
0: No, I don't think that I'm a fan. I don't think. Right. Me, too. And I don't think if I listened to this podcast and somebody was say, talking about as in depth and talking about the things that we were talking about about punchline i would be like oh that was cool they're, yeah they're super super honest but they also like me
1: yeah once again brendan if you listened or brendan, if any of brendan's fans listen i apologize for saying your last name wrong um multiple <laughs> times across the last 45 minutes yeah but anyway hey
0: this has been really fun talking to you man. yeah
1: this has been good i think um i ended up like i said i listened to the album i ended up not enjoying it as much as i remember enjoying it when i was 16 17 and that's Kind of just what happens with things sometimes, but the, the truth, the fact of the matter is, the the song "Teenage Dirtbag," it's good, it's great, it's it's like you said, it's everything you said. It's it's a it's a party starter. It's something that people, I imagine you and I are roughly the same age. I'm thirty six.
0: Yeah, thirty nine. So we're we're close. Yeah,
1: it's, we're the same age. We experienced the same things at the same time, roughly. People people our age all experience this at the same time, even though it only got to number 100 on the the billboard charts or whatever it was such a it was such a stamp on like our era it's the same as semi charm life which i think was like 96 so like that was probably the first of this sort of like pop music as guitar rock as crossover alt hits and this was definitely part of that and i think that that's something that especially people like us who then ended up going into liking punk music emo music even like metalcore like things like that 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 kind of blew up in from like 99 to 2009 we all sort of had that and that's just something that like people who were 12 to 20 at that point in time had in common and it, it, that's why it's such a great like thing to have as a, a unifier for a generation i guess
0: yeah, and this song, I really believe it's not going anywhere. Uh, wh- just seeing it even in 2020, people just like reacting to it, J- just seeing people react to the song with excitement in the year 2020, it makes me believe that this song is going to be around when it's 2040 and 2050. People are still going to be enjoying this song because it's 20 years since the release. And I can only... I could only see more excitement about this song being played now. So, uh, yeah, man, it it's, must be pretty cool to have a hit like that. So,
1: yeah, no, 100%. And more. once again, more power to him that, that they have been able or that he's been able to kind of continue with this as, as an entity, as a, as a thing in his life. And like I said, when I saw him a couple of years ago, it seemed like he really radiated a, a positive presence on stage. And I was very happy for him.
0: Hell yeah, man. So, hey, before we go here, um, you played in the Appreciation Post, which yep. ha- hasn't been a band since or has been I'm on hiatus like, since.
1: I left the band in 2009. I think that they may have they released an album. Actually, I don't want to like make this go too long, but we recorded a uh, full length with Mark McCluskey, who I know, you know, Nice. <laughs> um, Hell and yeah. it came out really awesome. But then I got this opportunity to join another band um, and I, I left the appreciation post. They ended up re- releasing that. I think at first is two separate EPs and I think that's up on Spotify. Um, and then there's probably another EP that I didn't play on, but it's really fantastic. Check that out, the appreciation post. Um, uh, I had the other band I joined was called Pretty and Nice. We released a couple albums, did a, did a bunch of tours. Once again, sort of it flamed out. We Now I work in advertising. And I had another band that has some stuff on Spotify called Yale, Massachusetts. More of a pop punk type band. Uh, I sang and played guitar on that one. And basically, right now I'm 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 working uh, in advertising and just sort of living a life where I don't have to worry about sleeping on floors and booking shows. Nice. And honestly, it's pretty great. I'm I'm glad y'all still have what y'all have. That's pretty much it. I have. If I can drop a quick plug, if anyone who's listening to this can follow me on Twitter, that's sort of where I do most of my stuff now. Um, nice. A lot of, if you, if you thought that things I said on this were insightful, I kind of try to do things like that, but it's also the opposite of that. So, um, you know, nice. check it out. I think that they'll probably post it in the, like, podcast notes for it. It's I am the Raj, I-A-M-T-H-E-R-O-G. Um, on Twitter, follow me and say, hi, say that you listen to the podcast, say that you enjoyed it. Also, you should follow Chris and the podcast. I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah, man. Uh, so cool, man. It was great having you on. Uh, I feel like we are, we're on the same wavelength. We, if we lived closer to each other, we'd probably hang out with each
1: other. Yeah, man. If you ever swing through New York, uh, hit me up. Hell man. Hell yeah, man. We'll do just kind of in conclusion, it's cool to have things that you used to listen to that maybe don't resonate the same way with you it's totally fine if you still like it too it's not my problem (laughs) just do what you got to do
0: hell yeah man all right thanks a lot (laughs) all right dude thanks for doing this
2: this has been one hit thunder One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. You can hear Punchline's song Heart Transplant off their major label debut, Action, playing Under Me right now. Follow this week's guest on Twitter at IMTheRaj and check out his new band, New Restaurants, at newrestaurants.bandcamp.com or in the links in our show notes, along with all of our social media tags. Punchline will be playing Anti Fest on March 28th in Pittsburgh, featuring Anti Flag, Suicide Machines, and many other great bands. Visit punchlion.com for tickets, as well as news, merch, and other upcoming tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com, and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We'll be back next week with another episode of One Hit Thunder. I this As much as it does to me I not you when you want did say What did I do What I you
0: You're listening to the Geekscape Network
2: and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life,